every tribe, language, tongue, and nation. And our desire is to be part of that, part of taking God's name to the ends of the earth. And so this morning as we celebrate the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, we're going to look at a passage of scripture in the book of Philippians chapter 2. And I hope it reminds us that we serve a big God. They've just chained me to the pulpit. <laughs> Microphones are great technology, aren't they? When they work. Uh, so we're going to hopefully be reminded that we serve a great big God. And he is always, always at work. Right here locally and around the world. Though the world is a very dark place. God is using his people and his church to shine the light of the gospel into the darkness. As the passage of scripture that we read together this morning, John did not come to be the light. He came to bear witness to the light. And we too continue to be able to bear witness to the light. And so before I dive into our passage in Philippians chapter 2, I wanted to give us a brief uh, description, a brief background of the book of Philippians. Paul had a very personal connection with the church in Philippi. Uh, we read in the book of Acts that Paul and his team went on a, a missionary journey, his second missionary journey. He went to Philippi, and it was there while they were ministering that, uh, that they saw Lydia, the seller of purple linens, a, 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 a very wealthy woman, come to know Christ. She and her whole household were baptized in obedience to their faith. And also while ministering in Philippi, they healed a slave girl from a spirit of divination. And because of that, Paul and Silas were thrown in jail. While in jail, the, the, the jailer uh, and his family came to know Christ. And so then shortly after Paul and their, the team's visit there, they planted this church. This church began in uh, the home of Lydia. And that, and that church was a very generous financial supporter of Paul and his ministry in, in, other, uh, in other places and all of his missionary endeavors. So they had a very tight relationship. They had a very close bond. And so when Paul is writing to the church in Philippi, Philippi it's a very personal letter. Uh, and he challenges them to better understand and grasp their faith. And, and he challenges them with what it means to then live out that faith in their lives as they continue to grow and be sanctified by the power of the Holy Spirit in them. And so we're mostly going to be focusing on verses 14 through 18, but I wanted uh, us to begin uh, in verse 12, just so we have a little bit more of the full context of the verse that we're looking at together. So in Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 18, it says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do all things without grumbling or disputing, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights of the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor, in vain. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you also should be glad and rejoice with me. Let's pray. 
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you have sent your son, Christ Jesus, into the world to be the light of the world. And so as we study together this morning, we pray that you would use your word in our midst, that we would be more conformed to the image of your son, and that we would be better at shining the light of the gospel in the darkest places in this earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our first point this morning is that in a fallen, broken world, we are called to joyfully serve the Lord. You see, when we focus on the brokenness around us, we lose sight of what God has done for us and how he wants to use us. In verse 12, we are called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Too often when, when we look at the broken world around us, we lose sight of all that God is doing for us. God is constantly at work in the world around us. And if we were to just look at the news, if we were to just look at some of the things going on in our communities, we can easily pinpoint all these disasters that are taking place. We could easily look at all of the negative and we could lose sight of the fact that our God loves us and he is at work in the world around us. That's why services like last Sunday night's membership and baptism service should encourage all of our hearts. It is so important for us as a family of God to, to give testimony of how God is at work and, and then to celebrate his goodness to us. We should constantly be remembering what God has done for us and reminding ourselves that he is still at work in doing those things. God is glorified when every sinner comes to repentance. And God is glorified when believers today boldly and faithfully live their lives for him. The beauty of the gospel is that none of us deserve it, and yet God sent his son to die on the cross for us. Not only that, but he brought someone into your life and into mine who would tell us the glorious gospel of Jesus. Maybe that was a, a family member because you grew up in a Christian home, or maybe it was a coworker or a friend or a faithful Sunday school teacher or an Awana leader, but somebody shared the glorious gospel with you. And you are a child of God. God is at work, and we should not take our eyes off the fact that he is constantly on the move. And notice in verse 13 it says, For it is God who works in you and in me, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. He is always, always at work. And he is always glorifying himself by bringing lost sinners into a relationship with, with himself, by illuminating their souls through the power of the Holy Spirit and drawing them into a relationship with himself. And because of this glorious gospel, you and I should do all things without grumbling and dispute. Oh, good. My notes have with grumbling and dispute. I'm really glad that they caught that on the screen. So kudos to whoever did that. Uh, I, I looked at my notes and went, wow, that can't be. Do all things without grumbling and disputing. In light of our salva salvation, we aren't supposed to be like the Israelites. They constantly saw God doing great things, and yet they murmured, and they complained, and they questioned, constantly complaining and not being satisfied with what God had done amongst them. 
So we're, we're called to conform ourselves to God's will for our lives. And, and to not allow grumbling and disputing and complaining to be a part of who we are. The word translated in ESV as disputing can also be con- di- uh, translated as arguing. It, it gives this connotation of questioning, of, of doubting, of, of, of not being certain of the goodness of God. And that should not be so amongst us. As followers of Christ, we know we deserve God's wrath. We know. And yet, he's given us his mercy. There should be no room for, for doubt and complaining among those who know the truth. And yet, as Americans and as fallen sinful human beings, it's so easy for us to fall into an attitude of entitlement. We question all the things going around, going on around us in our lives. We grumble and dispute because we don't want to endure the hard things that we face in this dark world. But we must. We must. We, we must endure hard things for the sake of Christ. Verse 15 informs us more about our calling as believers. We, it, we're called to live a life of holiness, to be set apart, different from the world. It reads, that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. Our submission to God's will involves every part of who I am. It involves every part of who you are. It is, it is inward. We're not supposed to grumble. We're not supposed to complain. We're not supposed to be dissatisfied with what God has done for us. And outward as well, by a demonstration of holy living right where we are. Living above repro- reproach, being blameless and innocent. Living a life that demonstrates that God truly is at work in our lives. Living a life that displays the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in us. Living for him right here in our community where God has placed you and your family. You see, in the sovereignty of God, we live when and where he wants us. Notice the two prepositional phrases in verse 15. In the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, and among whom. Culturally, I think we're, we're, we're doing better. But, but many Christians today still fall into the category of, of withdrawing. And we come into a withdrawal mode or a fortress mentality. We want to protect ourselves from getting caught up in the insanity of the world around us. So we draw back into our group of Christians, and we build walls to keep out the evil that surrounds us in this world. Don't get me wrong. Living in this world is exhausting. In this fallen world, it can be exhausting to to live for Christ. But living in this world is really what God has called us to do. Because we, we, because just like we read in the Philippian culture, we're living in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. You see, see, God is not surprised that, that the generation that we are living in, he was not surprised in, in the generation that the Philippian church was living in. He knew what their culture was like and he had placed them there so that they could be a light into that culture. So, so I get it. Sometimes this, this world may make our heart wrench. This 
world may make our stomachs churn. When we are confronted with the ungodliness and the darkness in every corner of our culture. When we see states voting to, to give unrestricted power to kill their unborn children in the womb. When the rights of the LGBTQ in some communities seem to trump the rights that you and I have to worship the Lord in truth and to live out our biblical lifestyle. When we live in a hypersexualized culture that, that confronts us and our children at every turn and it views sexual expression as, as a person's identity. Sometimes I'd like to build a cabin off grid, grab my loved ones and retreat from the world around us, but that is not what God has called us to do. We are here to live in their midst, to be faithful among them. The Bible doesn't call us to retreat from this. It calls us to lean into it. And to do that, we have to rely on our relationship with Christ because we can't do it in our own strength. But we can't wave the white flag of surrender, pack our bags, and retreat. That is not allowed. You see, we're called to live out our faith for the sake of those around us who don't know Christ. They are without hope. They are without the gospel. They are without a knowledge and an understanding of the fact that God sent his son to die for them. And who is going to tell them if we aren't here to tell them? That hope is only found in Christ. And just like the people that Kent and Jenny Schaefer are trying to reach in Mozambique that speak Mayindu, the people around us will never hear of the redeeming power of the gospel if believers right here aren't living the gospel in front of them and sharing their faith with them, sharing the truth with them. God's word is true, and we can boldly share it, even in this generation. Tim referenced it several weeks ago, and I've been meditating a lot on the high priestly prayer of Jesus found in John chapter 17. It's Jesus' prayer to our Heavenly Father, and it's intimate, and it's so beautiful. And we get a glimpse of our Savior's prayer and his desire for us. In John 17, verses 14 through 16, we read, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. And I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus doesn't pray to make it easy for us, Father, make it easy for them so they can live their faith with no problems. So they can live their faith with no opposition. He says that we'll be hated because we're like him and not of this world. And he doesn't want us to be removed from the world. Essentially, he prays that we would be protected from the enemy while we continue in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom we are living to be lights of the gospel where we live and where we work. Paul's heart for the Philippians was a reflection of Jesus' heart for his disciples, for you and for me. And as we continue in our passage, our next point in, in Philippians gives us a powerful illustration of what that can truly look like. And that illustration is this. We are called to be light in this dark world. Believers everywhere are called to be the light of Christ in the dark corners of their culture. 
Picking up again in the middle of verse 15, we read, Among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Paul gives us this powerful illustration reminding us that God wants to use us right where we are. Now, I'm not minimizing the call that God places on some to go to the far reaches of the earth to make his name known to the ends of the earth where there is no church, where there is no translation of the scriptures, where Jesus is not named, where there are no believers to proclaim the good news. I am not minimizing that at all. But if God has not called you to pack up your bags and go, it's because he wants you being a light for Christ right here. It's not enough to just simply exist as a believer in our culture. It's not enough to just live day in and day out among your neighbors. We have to do more than that. We are to do all things without grumbling and disputing, that we may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. That is what we're called to do. That is what our life should look like. That is how God wants us to live for him right here where he has placed us. We are called to live among them and shine as lights in the world. In John chapter 8 verses 12 we read this. Again Jesus spoke to them saying, "I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life." Jesus is the light of the world. And when we know Christ, we are no longer in darkness, so we're now called to shine that light in the dark world. I I, I love it when uh, ministries kind of come together and it, it just works. I, I've mentioned this before. Uh, there, there's uh, a book in the library called Good Night Moon. Uh, Full Moon Rising, that's what it's called. Uh, it's called Full Moon Rising. Just as I was walking in here this morning, I saw it in the window out there. Now somebody can run and get it for their kids when it's done. But the whole point of that book, and we were literally just talking about this as a family at our house yesterday, is that the moon is not a light on its own. The, the moon does not emit any light of its own. All it does is reflects the sun. And as believers in Christ, this is what John tells us in, in John 8, 12. Is, is that because of the light of Christ is in you, we are now like the moon, reflecting the light of the sun. We reflect the light of Christ to the culture and to the world around us. That is what God has called us to do. And one of the most important tools, the most important way that we can do that, is to use the tool that he has given us, his word. You see, in a world that believes truth is a sliding scale, we must hold fast to God's word. If we're going to be light in the darkness, we must cling to and hold fast to God's word. You see, we, we, we live in a world that believes there's this sliding scale, that truth can be whatever you want or whatever I want. And we must hold fast to the truth of God's verse, uh, God's word. Look again at verse 16, holding fast to the word of life so that so that we cling to God's word, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. If you want to make sure that your life is not being spent in vain, cling to God's word, hold fast to God's truth, take a stand on the foundation of the word of God in your life. 
We must cling to it and stand firm in it. Clinging to God's word is the only way that we can know what is true. A couple Sundays ago, Tim spoke on the truthfulness of God, and he mentioned the Francis Schaeffer quote, if society doesn't have moral absolutes, then society itself determines truth. That couldn't be more true than it is today. Society itself is trying to determine truth. But as shining lights in this dark world, we cannot allow the world, we cannot allow society to be the determiners of truth. Some Christians think that perhaps we need to tone down some of the difficult truths we see in God's word. But there's nothing loving, there's nothing kind about compromising God's word. We cling to what is true. We don't need to take the sharp edges off of the truth that we find in Scripture. Those sharp edges are intended to cut us deep and to cause conviction in our hearts of not just our lives, but all who hear it. So we should not be trying to tone down Scripture. We are clinging to Scripture and proclaiming Scripture. That doesn't mean that we beat people over the heads with our Bibles. But we never shy away from allowing God to use his word to convict and change the hearts of those who are caught up in darkness. In humility, we must remember who we were. And were it not for the illuminating power of God's Holy Spirit using his word to change our lives, we would not have the light of Christ in us. Think about who you were. In Ephesians 5, 8, it tells us who you were. It tells us who I was. For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are the light of the world. So walk as children of the light. We used to all be in darkness. But if you are in Christ now, the light of God, the light of Christ is in you. And so we walk as children of light. We must always remember the gospel, cling to Jesus, and hold fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. That brings us to our final point here this morning. Because of all that Christ has done for us, we must hold nothing back from him. Because of all that Christ has done for us, we must hold nothing back from him. Our lives must be placed on the altar for the Lord. And that also means not just our lives, but the lives of those around us we love, our family, our children, our friends. All of it, it, it we offer open-handedly to the Lord and say, God, use as you see fit. Look with me at what Paul says in verses 17 and 18, where he says, even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should be glad and rejoice with me. Paul is modeling, again, the love of Christ. He's willing to have his life poured out as an offering for the faith of the Philippian church. He is, he is willing to have his life poured out for others, for the glory of God. And when we live our lives for the glory of God, right where he has placed us, in, in the face of persecution, in the face of difficulty, in the face of trials, even in the face of our lives possibly being poured out as an offering, we can too rejoice. 
If God chooses to, to see our lives poured out for him, we should still be able to rejoice. Why? Verse 16 tells us why. We can have joy in eternity because someday we will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. And verses 17 and 18 remind us that there's no greater joy in the here and now than to pour your life out in the worship of our Savior. There is great joy in serving the Lord, even if it means our life is being poured out for him. Even if there are persecution that comes. Even if struggles come. Even if I suffer. Even if it seems like the enemy is winning. Even if my life is poured out, we rejoice. Peter utters this same challenge for us in 1 Peter chapter 4. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, he says this, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon, to test you, upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. God is still on the throne, and he can use our suffering to reveal his glory to a dying world who is lost in darkness. And we are to live among them for their sake. Honestly, we live such insulated Christian lives that we often don't see examples of Christians suffering their, for their faith or facing persecution. Unless you actively are looking for it, you oftentimes will not see it in the news. And so I challenge us that we must recognize this. That, that persecution is real and it happens so much more than most Americans realize. We oftentimes think about passages like this in theoretical terms. But for many of our brothers and sisters around the world who are in Christ, this is the daily occurrence for them. Persecution is their way of life. Because we live in a world that is opposed to God, opposed to the Bible, opposed to his truth. One of the statistics that they, they shared uh, regarding this year's International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church, they highlight the fact that more than 360 million Christians live in places where they experience high levels of persecution. Not just they experience persecution, but they experience high levels of persecution simply for following Christ. That's one in seven believers around the world. But persecution must not. It cannot we must not allow it to stop genuine followers of Christ from shining their light into the darkness. We cannot allow that to happen. And so you and I are called to, to encourage believers around the world and, and to think through how God is using them. Even if their life is poured out for the sake of the church, we can rejoice with them. Matthew 5, verses 14 through 16, we read this. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand. And it gives light to all in the, in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. While high levels of persecution for our faith is currently not our reality, we should still be living boldly, shining our light for Christ. And if persecution comes, we should never be tempted to put a basket over our light. 
And so we should pray for our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world as they are facing persecution that there would not be a temptation for them to dim their lights, for them to hide their lights, but instead that they would shine that light even more boldly and brightly. As we close, I I want us to consider some things. Why does this matter for us? Why do we stop occasionally and and think about things like the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church? And it's because we have an enemy that wants to destroy the light. The enemy does not want us to be shining our light in this dark world. The enemy wants the darkness to win. But we oftentimes are ignorant and unaware of all that's going on around us. And I want us to be aware that God is still on the move. Now, I also want to give a word of warning. I think it's important to to go to organizations like Voice of the Martyrs and Open Doors and to hear what God is doing, especially in in some of these uh, countries in the world where, where severe persecution and suffering is taking place in the lives of our brothers and sisters. But we can't be so focused on that, that we can't be so caught up in that that we lose sight of the goodness of God. For some of us, maybe looking at all that persecution would be a little too overwhelming. But we can always pray. And we can always follow the example of Paul and other believers who live for Christ. Your boldly living for Christ here should be an encouragement to your friends and neighbors across the street. And when we hear about persecution around the world of our brothers and sisters in Christ who are boldly living for Christ, it should be an encouragement for us to live that way right here. You see, this is what happened in the Philippian church. Paul and Silas were thrown in prison for casting the demon out of that girl. And because they were thrown in prison, because they were persecuted, because they continued to boldly shine the light of Christ there, God used that incident to bring that Philippian jailer and his family to Christ. You see, God oftentimes uses our faithful obedience, even in our suffering, to glorify himself. So be aware. Have godly examples to follow. But more than anything, I think it's important for us to stop and think about the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Because we have to remind ourselves that the light wins. The grave is empty. Jesus has power over sin and death and the grave. And the light will not be overcome. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. While we look at the world and it seems sometimes like the darkness is winning, the light will win. And so as I close our message this morning, I, I wanted to share a brief video from one of the countries on the world watch list, the one that Dan prayed for at the beginning. We're going to see a video of Iran, one of the countries with the greatest amount of persecution in the world. And we're going to see a demonstration of what it looks like to boldly live out our faith in the face of persecution and of how God can use that to glorify himself. At the end of the clip, I will come up and pray, and then the music team will lead us in a closing song. Let's play that clip. 